Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis about Noah and the raven experiment on the ark and how a believer should deal with disappointment. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from this week's messages. It said that when they all came into the ark, it says, God shut the door of the ark. God determined the time when salvation opportunity was over, when it was past. And this is the phase of the disappearance of the waters. It starts with these words, and God remembered Noah. Now here's Tom Cantor as we conclude our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday expository study in the book of Genesis. So in verse 2, we're told that there was this stopping that took place. There was a stopping of the fountains of the great deep. And we're told that the rains stopped also. The rains were restrained. So with the stopping of the fountains of the great deep and the rain stopping and the wind, the waters gradually begin to collect into what we know today as oceans. They collect into the oceans. So, now we start this new phase, as mentioned, which is the phase of the disappearance of the waters, and this lasts 150 days, we're told that. And it says in verse 4 of chapter 8, that the ark settles on Mount Ararat, which is in Turkey, near the border of Russia. Not the kind of place you want to go as a tourist especially today. But you you can figure out from verse 5 that the ark sits there on the top of Mount Ararat for about two months and 12 days. So it's kind of rested there. And that shows you how very slowly the waters were going down. It It took a long time. So every day... You know, Noah's sitting up there and he's looking out and his family, is the, see, that's where the phrase water, water everywhere comes from, you know. No, I don't think so. But anyway, they're just, <laughs> that's all they see is water. It's just water. So for two months and 12 days, they're looking and looking and all they see is water. And then, the, then questions, we can imagine, questions to Noah, are you sure we'll ever see dry land again? Noah says again, you know, we trusted God in the past. We're going to trust him in the future. That's who we are. We are God trusters. And he didn't save us in this ark to let us die, but he's going to bring us to a new earth. So just be patient. Be patient. And we can imagine the excitement after two months and 12 days that they're sitting on top of Mount Ararat that finally they see the peaks of mountains popping up through the surface of the waters. That was a very exciting time for them. And they said, oh, look, you know, you can imagine. You said, see that? You know? And then they have to wait another 40 days because the water is going down very slowly. So now, verse 7. If you're Noah, what do you do during these 40 days after you've been on the ark for nearly a year and the ark was all very exciting and interesting at the beginning, but this has been a long time and it's getting a little old, you know, the ark. And so everybody's a little anxious to get off the ark. It's been a long time. So, you know, you feel trapped. You feel trapped like you're there. You know, you, what do you do when you feel trapped? You think about getting out. And that's what prisoners do. That's what they do. And that reminds me of the six months I was on chemotherapy. I felt trapped. 
those six months. And I was thinking about getting off chemotherapy. And so they, they, feel, they felt trapped. And they started thinking about getting out. So here's Noah and the company. And they're feeling trapped. They've been in there for a long time. So they start to think about getting out. And the family turns to Noah and says, you got us into this. <laughs> now you get us out, you know. And, so, and Noah says to his family, don't worry. Don't worry that he was going to devise an experiment. See? Not just any experiment. He's very ingenious, Noah. He's smarter than the average inventor, Noah is. So he devises this experiment, Noah does, and he thinks to himself, I need to have a method to find out when it's safe to leave the ark. Because one thing I know, Noah's thinking to himself, once this door is open, nobody's coming back in. So, you know, it's very, very important he knows when to open the door. So he needs to find out when the earth is habitable, you know, without opening the ark. So he's thinking, after such a long time in the ark, and all these animals are kept alive, and we're all alive, it'd be just terrible for the door to be opened too soon, and we all die, because nobody wants to get back in the ark. So one thing is for sure, uh, once the door's open, nobody's coming back. So, anyway... Because they'll all say, I'd rather die outside this ark. It's been a long time. So Noah turns to his family and he says, I got it. He's got this ingenious experiment. He explains. He says, we'll turn a bird loose. And if the bird doesn't come back, then that means that the bird could live on the earth. And if the bird can live on the earth, then we can too. So the family is all very, has renewed confidence. And so they say, okay. So Noah then says to himself, now the question is, which bird shall we choose? for my experiment, see? So he, he looks around the birds, and he sees the raven, and the, you know, he kind of glares at the raven. The raven glares at him. The raven and Noah have had a very bad relationship on the ark, see? Because the raven makes a lot of noise and very messy. And so the raven knows what Noah's thinking. The raven doesn't feel welcome on the ark. It's very sad. Anyway, so he says to his family, I got it. He says, well, let the raven loose, and he'll tell us if it's the right time for us to open the ark, the door of the ark. And also we'll get rid of the raven at the same time. So Noah says, we'll kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> Becomes a famous phrase after that. No. Uh, so, so Noah's family, you know, they tell Noah that they're, they're right behind him. You know, he should go do this. And so Noah, is, that way Noah feels better. No mutiny. So he opens a window. Now Noah gets the raven ready. We can imagine, they probably don't look at each other, they have a very bad relationship. And he gets ready to do the experiment. Now, first thing is recorded in verse 6 of chapter 8. It says, It came to pass in the end of 40 years that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. You know, that verse says that Noah opened the window uh, which he had made. I've always wondered about that verse. I mean, when it says that Noah opened the window which we had made, I've always said, why does it say the window that he had made? Who else would have made that window? Well, I mean, the whole ark was made by him, including the window. Maybe it's stating to us that this was the window that Noah made as opposed to the giant hole that everybody else was ready to make in this ark to get out. I don't know. But anyways, he opens the window that he'd made. And in verse 7, he releases, he says, he sent forth the raven in verse 7. So now we can imagine, you know, one hand he's got a hold of this raven, and the other hand he opens the window of the ark that he had made, and, and the raven, and they don't even look at each other, and he turns it loose. Okay? Now, it starts his experiment. Now we can imagine that Noah and his family are just, they're just watching this raven with intense interest. And it says in verse 7 that he sent forth the raven, which went to, went forth 
to and fro. That's what it says. It went forth to and fro. Actually, the Hebrew word for went forth to and fro is the word yatsa, and it's used, not yatsa, yatsa, and it's used twice. So it's like yatsa means break out. It means break out. So it reads something like this. And he sent forth the raven, which broke out and broke out. That's the way it's kind of reading. So the family's looking very intently at this raven, and they see the, the raven flying out of there like he's on a jailbreak, and Noah and the family come to the conclusion, there's no way that that raven's ever coming back here to the ark, probably because of the bad relationship with Noah, I don't know. But we can imagine the, the, the family didn't have to say anything. They just looked at Noah, and Noah realizes that he had to modify his experiment, see? Because he chose the wrong bird. So he didn't have the right bird. So he thinks to himself, well, maybe the raven would have returned if it loved its mate. But the raven just flew away. It's obvious that raven's not coming back here. And anyway, so Noah feels bad. And he realizes that from the way the raven flew, and the whole family saw that because of how it's described, that, well, for one thing, he's just endangered the future of all future ravens on the earth. Because you only had two. They were an unclean animal. And how do you know those ravens eventually found each other? How do you know that? <laughs> we have ravens. <laughs> and so, okay. So anyway, so he feels very bad also because he realizes from, like I said, he realizes from the way the bird flew that he chose the wrong raven. He chose the wrong bird. Verse 8, it says, he sees, uh, he sees that and he says, you know, I got to choose a bird. First of all, I need a clean bird, which, which there are seven of them, so I can afford to lose some. And second, I need a bird I have a good relationship with. And third, I need a bird who is going to be fond of its mate. And he'll return for its mate. So the dove, ah, that's a perfect bird. He thinks to himself, wonderful. So he goes in verse 8, he sends forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated. So Noah and the family watch the dove now very carefully. They probably released it in the morning. It disappears, and they keep watching and watching. And you can imagine the shout that goes out, and he pulls the dove back into the ark, and Noah looks at his family, and, and he says, see, it worked. You know? But that's very disappointing, because that means they can't get off the ark. That's not a good news, so it means there's no dry ground. It's very trying of their patience, all this waiting and experiments and so forth, failed experiments, successful experiments, all the everything saying you can't get off the ark. So what this shows is that during this time when they're on the ark, Noah and his family, they needed patience. Patience. And it's very similar to what God told Habakkuk. He said, because, let me just put it this way, they had a vision, a chazon, a vision which means that they could see themselves getting off of that ark onto the new ark. They had the vision, but they couldn't see the vision because all they saw was water. And birds returning. And, but so it says in Habakkuk 2, 2 through 3, it says this. The Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. And then he said, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. And at the end, it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it because it will surely come, it will not tarry. They could have said those words to the family of Noah in there. We all have the vision of getting off this ark. And God has told us that. That's a promise from God. But even though we don't see it, Noah said, wait for it. Be patient. That's why it says in, in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, using the same word, where there is no vision, the people perish. 
So he repeats the experiment in verse 10. And he, first of all, he stays for another seven days. He waits, and he sends forth the dove out of the ark. And he, he doesn't send another raven. He learned from that experiment. You know, the ravens, we're finished with ravens. And now, in verse 11, the dove comes back. And here, and so you can imagine, you know, they're all looking for the dove. And the dove first appears. Oh, wonderful. And then it says, and lo, like there's a big surprise. In her mouth is an olive leaf plucked off. And so we can imagine the dove there's released, and they're all watching that. And then the dove gets closer, and they can see, look, it's a leaf, it's a leaf. No, it's a leaf. And he takes it in, and he goes over it. He has an examination table Noah does on his ship. And he looks very carefully at the leaf, and he said, this is not just a waterlogged leaf. This is not just a leaf that was floating on the water for a long time. I'm examining very carefully where this leaf was attached to the branch, and I can see that it is plucked off. And so he's running around the ark saying, plucked off, plucked off, plucked off, which means that it was very fresh. And furthermore, it was an olive tree, and you can eat olives. I don't know if you like olives. I like olives. So that was a tree for food. So that was a message that God was saying to him. You're going to get off the ark. There's going to be food there. A good thing is going to happen. And then, finally, in verse 12, he releases the dove, and the dove doesn't come back. Never know why the dove didn't come back. Maybe it had a bad relationship with its mate. I don't know. Doves always stay together. But anyway, that's what happened. And so now, they're ready to leave the ark. And that's the place where we'll stop this morning. Father, thank you so much for being faithful by, first of all, Lord, giving the command to enter the ark, giving the promise, Lord, that they would come out on dry land for keeping them. Thank you for the example of Noah and his family, such a long time on the ark, but you gave them patience. They exercised patience. And we pray, Lord, that we in our lives could be like them and be patient and trust God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tom, today you talked about Noah's experiments with the raven and the doves. How can we apply Noah's experience to our lives today? You know, it's very interesting what we see there with Noah because this is an example of persistence. I mean, Noah, first of all, he takes the raven and he lets this raven, he does the raven experiment. And really, when we look at what happened with the raven, the raven, it really represents disappointment. How disappointing for Noah. It's not at all what he expected. And we feel disappointment so often in our lives. And then the next experiment he does with the dove, and the dove goes, and he comes back with the olive branch. That gives Noah hope. That gave Noah great hope, and so it represents hope. Oh, that's good. There must be the dry land, and the the olive branch proves that the waters have subsided, so it represents hope. And then he does the third experiment, and the dove, he lets it loose, and then the dove doesn't come back. So that's hope which is realized. It's hope which is realized. So what we really see in those three experiments is how to deal with disappointment and how to be persistent and how persistence finally pays off. And there's a great example of that in the Bible in Mark chapter 2, verses 3 through 12. I'll just read it here as it's really this history of a man who is in great need and his friends. The man is sick of the palsy. He's got a nervous disorder. He's in, and there's no cure for him. And he's got at least four friends here who are willing to do anything to help this man. And here's what we read. The setting here is the Lord Jesus Christ has come into this 
place, and there's a great stir, there's a great throng, and so it says, And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lie. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk, but that ye he may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. You know, what we really see here, there are so many different scenes which are going on. We have the perspective in the scene of the man who is sick of the palsy. We have the perspective in the scenes of his four friends that are letting him down. We have the perspective in the scene of the Lord Jesus Christ who's going to heal. We have the perspective in the scene of the Pharisees who are opposing. And all of this is going on. It's so interesting as we see this going on in a in a in these different dimensions. But really as far as the 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 four who were determined to see their friend healed, they show persistence. And so what we see, first of all, is that we see here they came to the Lord Jesus Christ, they brought the one who was sick of the palsy, which was what they were supposed to do, and these were the four men who were carrying him, but then they saw that they, in verse 4, says they could not come nigh unto him for the press. So that's like Noah, he lets out the raven, he's so disappointed, he's looking for the land, He's hoping for the land. But the raven experiment comes back with great disappointment and with these men also. They want to see their friend healed of the man who is sick of the palsy. He's like, he's got epilepsy. He's got a really in bad condition. Nobody can help him. They know that the Lord Jesus Christ can help him. And so they brought it to him. But then it says they could not come nigh. So disappointing. So frustrating. They could not come nigh. And you can see them there. Are they faced with this dilemma? Are they just going to walk away and say, well, pal, we tried, but we just couldn't do it. We're sorry. But no, you see the beauty of persistence in these men because they said, listen, we brought you this far. This is just a little bump in the road, but we're going on. We're going to overcome this obstacle. I mean, you got to love these guys. I mean, what friends they were. So they looked and they turned to each other. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And so I don't know. Maybe they, they looked up at the roof and they said, we're going to take the roof apart. And they said, well, who's 
going to pay for it? Well, who cares? We got a problem of our friend who's got sick of the palsy here. So you can see him. They're climbing up on top of the roof and it says they're they're taking the roof apart. They're uncovering the roof and no one's going to stop them. And in fact, when it goes into the details, it says they uncovered the roof where he was and it says that when they had broken it up. So maybe there was permanent damage. I mean, something had to be done later on, but that's not an issue. But if they did this and it's so beautiful to see this and they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy was. So the Lord Jesus Christ is in a house. All of a sudden, everybody looks up and they see that the roof's being taken apart. And then to their amazement, there's this big gaping wide hole in the roof. There are four men standing around this hole. Then all of a sudden, they move this this pallet of this man still lying on it with ropes. And everybody is just amazed and slowly, carefully, Let's all let them down together. Each man just give the same amount of rope at the same time so we don't lose them off of the pallet. And and everybody starts to see this pallet slowly become lowering down from the ceiling. What a sight that must have been for everybody to see. And we read that they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And then it says in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith. Whose faith? The faith of those four men. Was it the faith of the man of the palsy? No, he was just lying there. What faith did he have to? It was the faith of the four men. He says he saw their faith, and then he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. See, that's symbolic of when Noah let off the, 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 the first dove experiment, and the dove comes back with the olive branch in his mouth. That was hope. That was hope for Noah. And so when it says here that the Lord Jesus Christ Christ said to the man who was sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. That was hope. And that was good. It was good. The man is sick of the palsy says, good for my sins to be forgiven me. But what about my, my, my body? I should, I should be, I want to walk. And so, but, but that didn't happen yet, but still, there were persistence. There were persistence in the face of another disappointment. See, Noah had a disappointment because the dove came back with the, with the olive branch, but you know, still the dove came back. And so now all of a sudden we have here these certain of these scribes and they're sitting there. It says they were sitting there. I mean, can't you just see them, the pompousness of them? I mean, here's a man who's all of his life has been tortured and imprisoned in this body, which is just in palsy, in the state of palsy. And, and there's a hope now has come. Hope has arrived and is standing right there before him. And maybe for the first time now, this man, is going to have relief and be healed. And so what do the scribes do? They sit. They just sit there and they're reasoning within their hearts and they're discussing and they're saying to themselves, ah, you know, we're not really care about the man with the sick or the palsy, but you know, I think he just said something theologically bad. In other words, why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And so this is what's going on in their hearts. But he, the Lord Jesus Christ, who reads the hearts of men, he hears what they're saying in themselves. And so immediately it says in verse 8, when Jesus perceived in his spirits that they are so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, not in his heart, but he said, why reason ye these things in your hearts? That alone should have made these scribes get off of their seat, fall down before him, as Nathaniel did. He said, you saw me when I was under the fig tree? And he says, oh, he says, you know, you are the Messiah, the, the 
Son of God. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ said, because I said that I saw you under the fig tree, you say these things. Well, here these men just realize that this man has read their hearts. The Lord Jesus Christ has read their hearts. And so they should have fallen down like Nathaniel did. And they would have been uh, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. But that wasn't them. And so then they're just silent. And so then he says, whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk. And obviously it was harder to say thy sins be forgiven thee than to say it's a nothing for him to heal him. Arise, take up thy bed and walk. And then he said, but so that you can know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. In other words, why was he doing this? He was doing this so that the scribes could repent, so that they could be saved from their sins, so that they could have, yes, they didn't have palsy. Yes, they were walking, but they did not have their sins forgiven them. And so it was really for their benefit of these scribes that the Lord Jesus Christ is saying this. And so he says, but you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He say it to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine own house. So the man is sick of the palsy. He says, well, finally, I get a little attention around here. I mean, I'm the one who's sick of the palsy. Has anybody forgotten about me? And when he hears this, it says in verse 12, immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. See, all they were focused on was the physical. They were looking there saying, well, the problem is the man is sick of the palsy, and now he's been healed, and that's just amazing. But they weren't hearing. What were they not hearing? They weren't hearing that he has power to forgive sins. And that's like so many people today. They All they care about is, hey, can he give me food? What can he do for me physically? But he's saying the greatest problem is not physical things, but the greatest problem is to be forgiven of sins. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ says, that he is the one to forgive sins by coming to him as Lord and Savior. Thank you for joining us today. Now, would you like to tell Tom Cantor how the Friendship with God radio program has impacted your life? Well, you can do that. You can send him an email. His email address is tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Tom and then C-A-N-T-O-R, C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or to reach a lost Jewish person with a free gospel gift of Tom Cantor's life story on DVD and a booklet. We'll give that away free to you and to any lost Jewish person that you know. Now, all you have to do, again, is call us at 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening.